This is Wednesday's Women, hosted by Caitlin and Taylor. We invite you to join us in a candid conversation about the roles of women in political organizing and beyond, as we celebrate the centennial celebration of the 19th Amendment. We hope that you find this episode educational, entertaining, and the women we discuss inspiring. If you like what you hear, subscribe and share. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another Wednesday with Wednesday's Women. Hosts, Taylor Caitlin, Editor Jacob in the incognito mode. We will be uh, furthering our discussion today on uh, Native American women in our political climate and how important it is to recognize them because they are usually not recognized. Today, we are talking about Deb Holland. And if that is not how you pronounce her name, we are regretfully, regretfully sorry. I think that's how you say it. I looked it up. I listened to a news channel. We tried. We tried here. <laughs> so Deb was born in Winslow, Arizona. She is an enrolled member of the Laguna Pueblo people. Her mother, Mary Toya, a Native American woman, served in the United States Navy. So you can see that um, her family has great ties to um, our country. Her father was Major J.D quote unquote, Dutch is what he was called, Holland, a Norwegian American. He was an officer in the United States Marine Corps and recipient of the Silver Star for his actions in Vietnam. And he was buried with the full military honors in Arlington National Cemetery in 2005. Um, it's also, I wanted to note, um, today is Veterans Day. So thanks y'all for all your hard work and uh, Major J.D. Holland. Um, she knows the sacrifices because of her, her parents and who they were and their ties to our country. She recognized the sacrifices made by military families. Um, and she also saw her family having to move throughout the country during her father's military service. So as a result, she attended 13 different public schools, more public schools by 13 than Betsy DeVos. I just wanted to point out. Um, no shade here. No shade. Here. A little bit. A little shade here, actually. Yeah, actually, you're right. Um, but um, Holland earned her Bachelor's of Arts in English from the University of New Mexico in 1994. And then she earned her Juris Doctor in Indian Law from the University of New Mexico School of Law in 2006, um, but is not a member of the New York State Bar. She served as a tribal administrator for the San Felipe Pueblo from January 2013 to New November uh, 2015. She has a daughter whom she raised on her own. We love an independent woman. Um, as a single mother, she volunteered at her daughter's preschool in order to afford an early childhood education. Uh, like many New Mexicans, she had to rely on food stamps at times as a single parent, and she lived paycheck to paycheck and struggled to put herself through college all of which is very admirable that she did what she did and she got the experience she did while she was being a part or not part-time full-time mom as well as going through all these other struggles and I think it's important to note that she went through school around the time that her daughter was also going like looking at going to college yeah. Her daughter wasn't enrolled in college yet. So like, that's a lot. Like her and her daughter are both still paying off their student loans, which is wild. Absolutely. 
For several years, she ran her own small business producing and canning Pueblo salsa, which I think is nice because I like salsa. So I like to hear strong, independent people making salsa. Um, she became the first chairwoman elected to the Laguno Development Corporation Board of Directors, which oversaw business operations of the second largest tribal gaming enterprise in New Mexico. Deb successfully advocated for the Laguna Development Corporation to create policies and commitments to earth-friendly business practices. She was also, or is, she's alive. She is a former tribal administrator. I'm so sorry, I'm gonna start that over. I apologize. That's my alarm. My alarm goes off at nine and 9.30. Um, actually, my alarm goes off every hour telling me to drink water because if I don't have the alarm, I forget. <laughs> Fun facts. Um, Deb successfully advocated for the Laguna Development Corporation to create policies and commitments to earth-friendly business practices, something which all people should be doing because we only have one planet. Um, she is a former tribal administrator and has administered a local service provider for adults with developmental disabilities, another um, really important service that we don't see enough. And I think it's great that she backed these major services within her tribal community, because I do think sometimes tribal communities don't have the same access to social services we offer. Well, that I, tribal communities do. And I will say, like, it's really respectable that their communities usually try to be self, um, self-sustaining. They try to work and have resources within their communities that is built of their community members, which I think is a really like honorable and really neat concept. But like you said, it can really downplay when you need specific types of resources that might not be available. Yes, so Holland is a very well-educated woman, a very active woman, and fairly early on, she got pretty devoted to politics. Um, Holland said that she initially got into politics because she wanted more Native Americans to get out and vote. Um, Native American, both men and women, are a population who tends to vote in smaller percentages compared to Caucasian men and women. And I believe even Black men and women have higher voting percentages than Native American men and women. But that might have changed in 2020. I haven't seen 2020 turnouts. Um, so I think that's a very admirable cause. Holland, um, who was of the Laguna Pueblo, said her ancestors came to the area in the 12,000s. Is that how you would say that? Because No, the- 1200? How would you say that? In the 1200s? Okay, I'll try that again. <laughs> Sorry, Jacob. I'm assuming that's how you would say it. The 1200s? Because, I mean, if it was 1-9, it'd be 1900s. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. <laughs> I have to, like... We're such myself. good historians. <laughs> Holland, who is a member of the Laguna Pueblo, said her ancestors came to the area in the 1200s, but Native American women were not able to vote across the nation until 1948, even though Congress had passed the 19th Amendment in 1919. Um, and this is because Native American men and women were not seen as citizens until the 1900s, um, which is gross. <laughs> it's just gross. She said, and I quote, my grandmother was one of those people who couldn't vote until 1948. 
And so that's what really motivated her to ensure that she and her fellow member, her fellow community members were active voters. Her first political experience involved lots of volunteer work, um, just attempting to increase the number of Native American voters. She started by going into campaign offices of candidates that she liked and she sort of vibed with and would just ask for lists of Native Americans who she could make phone calls to. Um, this is still a pretty common method today to just do phone banking. I know several groups on Clarion do phone banking. I personally don't phone bank because I hate talking on the phone and it gives me like horrible stress. Oh my God. Um, but props. That is like so much of our generation though. Like I, I can like go in and talk to a stranger I've never met before and like give them a catheter and be totally cool with it. But if you ask me to call like even a family member on the phone, I get like the unnerving feeling that I need to run away. <laughs> yeah, like I will walk in and give a presentation or chair a meeting of like 20 people before I'll just call like my mom because well, I'll be stressed. Yeah, I'll, I'll I have to write a script. I'll go on a stage first and talk in front of people without a script before I have a script and talk to someone on the phone. I don't know why. I just have horrible phone anxiety. Like I have to, I have to like hype myself up to make a phone call. Like you're going to call the doctor. You're going to tell them this is why you need to come in. You're going to tell them this is when you're available. And then I have to write it down. And then they go, hello. And I panic for a minute. And you're like, hi, how are you today? <laughs> yeah. Like I haven't been calling the same doctor's office for years. Yeah. So I'm always impressed when people phone bank. Um, new technology now allows you to text people. And I'm way more into that than phone banking, but I love that she started phone banking. I'm always impressed with people who phone bank. Um, and it usually leads to greater opportunities. And so Deb mentioned that phone banking turned her into actually showing up in these communities, knocking on doors, registering voters, and providing drives to the polling places. Um, she mentioned that she would go to the Navajo Nation fairs, the Pueblo feast days, and set up booths to register voters and then offer them a ride to the polls when it was time. And I think that's great because I do know one of the ways people say that accessibility lacks in voting is obviously if you live in like Pittsburgh or New York City, you can get public transportation to your polling place, but that's not always possible in a small town. And so like in the town of Clarion, if your polling place is the free public library, but you live outside the borough, you're looking at like a 10 to 15 minute drive. And sometimes that's just not accessible for everyone. So I love the drive to the poll efforts. Um, and pretty soon Holland began to aim higher, aspiring to reach positions in order to better help her community. Um, Holland, the first paid position she had was as a local staffer to the Obama campaign in 2012. Um, he had a pretty good regional staff he had them pretty much placed in every swing state. Um, and so that was her first paid position and she really just climbed the ladder from there. She started helping others running for office by volunteering. And then by 2014, she was running for office herself. Yeah, so obviously she was very active and she had all of this experience, which is why it made such an obvious choice for her to become the chair of the Democratic Party of New Mexico. 
So she ran because she wanted more Native, women, Native American women in Congress. And she said that Congress should be 50% women, um, which I agree with. And currently only 23% of Congress is women, which is pretty insane considering the regulations that um, they're deciding on lay heavily into the lives of women. So, so I would argue that Congress should actually be closer to 60% women, just because if you look at the breakdown of like America gender roles, yeah, demographically, it's, I think it's like 54 or 55% women. And so they should actually be more than 50%. Honestly, like, okay, so here's something I've always thought. Like, I understand, we had a conversation about this last week when we talked about, like, people saying they're going to pick, like, a person of color or a person who's a girl whenever they're running for office and how it's not great, you know. But, like, when it comes to things about, like, Congress, sometimes I think, like, what would it be like if we just had certain seats? Like, for Senate, like, student Senate. At Clarion, we always save two seats for freshmen to make sure we have freshman representation. Um, what would it be like if we had seats reserved in Congress? I could see that because I do think you'd run into the issue if you'd be like a female Congress member is up for re-election, so a female has to take her place. Yeah. But I do like the idea that a certain portion of Congress has to reflect. Well, here's an even better idea. Why don't we just get a brand new Congress every four years? Fire everyone. Honestly, I would be here for it. No, seriously, I think that that would be the most beneficial because then you have a constant influx of new ideas, just like we want with presidency. Um, and you could like continually get new faces, but keep up with that percentage of like- Also, I'm a huge advocate for citizens assemblies when it comes to making laws and stuff. And so a citizens assembly is like you call so many people and you say, are you willing to sit in a think tank? And this think tank has to reflect the population of America. So you have to have so many conservatives, so many evangelicals, so many Catholics, so many liberals, so many, like you have to meet every demographic check mark and that group determines what the law should look like rather than Congress. And then they approach Congress with their recommendation. Ooh, I like that too. That's what Ireland does. And it's a pretty solid strategy. Hmm. Um, so she said a law school professor at the University of New Mexico told Holland she should participate in the Emerge New Mexico, which is a nonprofit which seeks to increase the number of democratic women in office by helping them learn the basics of campaigning. Um, following that, she was elected the chair in 2015, which was a two-year term. Um, then she became the first Native American woman to be elected to lead a state party. She used her experience reaching out to communities who are often forgotten during the electoral process during the two Obama presidential campaigns, um, which I think is a really great thing that, I think that was a really good use of her experience, um, especially for something that was so needed. During her tenure, Democrats regained control of New Mexico, which is another um, great achievement. Absolutely. I think that's always huge when a party regains control of a state. Absolutely. And I think that's quite the feather to put in your hat to say they did it under me. Yes, I agree so as well. Um, what was I going to say? 
I don't know what I was going to say. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> Maybe it will come back. By 2017, Holland decided that she would run for the U.S. House of Representatives. And in 2018, she successfully mounted a campaign to win New Mexico's first congressional district. Um, that region includes most of Albuquerque and the surrounding suburbs. She was part of the wave of new women who joined the House of Representatives during the 2018 elections, which was the previous record for most women to enter Congress. Um, now 2020 has set a new record. Um, she was also a huge part in bringing unprecedented diversity to the body of Congress. So it wasn't just white women and just straight white men. There was a huge diverse Congress who entered in 2018. Holland said that when she ran, she was very open about her prior addiction to alcohol and the DWIs she received 35 years before she ran for office. Um, I think that's big because I think sometimes candidates try to hide embarrassing things like that and it comes back to hurt them. Absolutely. I think, I definitely think you can grow up and you can change a little. I know that's what hurt um, Beto O'Rourke was his, his drinking. And he was very open about it and said, I made mistakes. And so I think it's fair to say you can grow from that. Obviously it's not a great thing, but it's not as awful as like I murdered someone, but I'm better now. <laughs> and I think um, like, um, especially with like things like substance abuse and alcohol abuse, those are things that are um, a lot more common than we believe. And typically those actions are um, more internalized forms of abuse, whereas you're usually abusing yourself more than anyone else because you're dealing with other things. Whereas like, I think it's a lot less condonable to excuse sexual assault history or domestic abuse or things like that because those type of actions show um different intentions of the person I would say yeah I definitely think there are some crimes that you can't really grow from I think there are definitely some that just sort of eliminate you as candidates for certain things I just don't necessarily think that driving while intoxicated is one of them I think you can look back and be like wow I was really stupid during that time and move forward um, no, it's kind of crazy. Was... Well, the fact that, like, speaking of things that you do that gets you, like, kind of um, unable to run for office, like, in the public eye. So, like, we were talking about how if you are, like, a assault, somebody who's committed assault or whatever, that's a typical thing. Alexander Hamilton wasn't able to run after the um, Mariah Reynolds pamphlet came out. And yet, yeah. and he like admitted to it and it was one affair. Um, and our most recent president has had numerous breakups of marriages. Yeah, we've had a lot of presidents have affairs while in the office. So it definitely, your perspective on what's electable and what's not electable does change. Um, I also think that the decision of what's electable and what's not electable changes depending on your gender in the house. So Katie Hill, was it Katie Hill who her boyfriend leaked pictures of her? Is that who it was? I know Anita Hill is the lady who had. Yeah, that was Clarence Thomas. 
Because right. at one point, one third of the men sitting on the Supreme Court had been accused of sexual misconduct. And wow. they sat. I love that. Doesn't that show you something about America, though? That's pretty good demographic of the court. <laughs> we did say we wanted <laughs> our elected offices to reflect America. But there was that senator who like got in all kinds of trouble because there was that lewd photo of her with another girl. And I feel like that's garbage because there have been lots of lewd photos of male candidates. Oh, there are lewd. male candidate in Pennsylvania who put out a video of his son smoking and this man got reelected. Trump. His son was 13. No, it wasn't Trump. No, I'm saying Trump got elected and he ha- is on video saying the P word. So like yeah, and I I think it was Katie Hill, but I'm not sure. So I'm gonna quit saying Katie Hill. And this poor representative had to resign. Garbage. It's garbage. But she was open about her DWIs. She was also very transparent about the fact that she had been homeless at a point and was a single mother who had lived on food stamps. Um, I think that kind of helps plead your case that like you understand. I would be more willing to elect someone who'd been like, I was on food stamps at a point in my life than someone who's been like, I've never not been rich. Yeah. Because me and a person who's never not been rich have nothing in common. Well, and I think that's like really a common like thing that most Americans, not most Americans, but I think a lot of Americans are looking for now is we're looking for more of people that are like us. So that's why I think so many people are drawn to AOC and her story because she started as a waitress and, you know, doing the generic jobs that most Americans do, you know, instead of coming from a financial uh, background where you could go right into your field. So yeah, so I definitely like that she was transparent about it and that people were accepting of it. Obviously, not everyone was accepting of it because bad people exist. There have to be bad people. In order to have good people, you have to have bad people so you can have a real litmus test. As we said on a previous episode, Holland is one of two women who were the first Native American women elected to Congress, so they were elected in the same congressional year. Um, we're not going by when elections were called to name one of them first or second. We're just going off of the election year. So they're both the first Native American women elected to Congress in 2018, 2018, very recent. Um, Only two years ago. Very recent. I remember what I was doing in 2018. I actually don't, but in my defense, I also don't remember what I was doing last week. So it's not really indicative of anything. Very recent, very sad that it was so recent. Holland said, every day for me, I realize the weight that's been put on my shoulders, but I gladly take it and will do everything I can to make sure that I'm working toward what we should all be working toward. And that is to make sure that everybody has a chance to succeed in this country. She currently serves on three committees, the Committee on Armed Services and the Subcommittee on Military Personnel and Readiness. Um, Makes sense given her parents. She serves on the Committee of Natural Resources as the vice chair. On that committee, she serves on the indigenous peoples of the United States and the National Parks, Forests and Public Lands subcommittee. On the last subcommittee, she serves as a chair and she serves on the Committee of Oversight and Reform, currently working on the subcommittee of civil rights and civil liberties. Um, That's been a very busy committee recently. So, Hope things are going well for her. I hope they're 
I hope they're not too stressed. On March 7th, 2019, Holland became the first Native American woman to ever preside over the House of Representatives during a debate on voting rights and campaign finance. Um, she did say that it was rather surreal to sit in the speaker's chair at that moment, um, and that it really just allowed her an opportunity to reflect on everything she had worked for. In 2020, Deb Holland did win her reelection in New Mexico and New Mexico elected only women of color to the house in the 2020 election, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. She was an incredible woman, really. She really was. And I think it's sad that, I don't think it's sad that AOC gets a lot of attention, but I think it's sad that, you know, the squad gets a lot of attention, but the squad doesn't include every impressive also, I'm sorry every time I say Deb Holland was, she is, she is not dead. I'm just so used to having people that we talk about be people from our past history that are no longer around. My yeah. When I was making the, the script, I'd be like, she was, and I'm like, nope, she still is. She still does this to this day. She is a single mother. She, she was not a single mother. It's so it is definitely weird. It's also weird for me how little information is available during our lifetime. Yeah. Like I'm not implying that Deb Holland is having an affair by any means, but like those letters from Eleanor Roosevelt came out a significant period after she had died. So it's weird to think of like what comes out of your personal life when you die and you have no control over it because you're dead. Okay, so for discussion question number one, what are your guys' thoughts on New Mexico electing only women of color? So I have a question about this. So I think it's amazing. Did they do that intentionally or is that just how it happened? No, I'm gonna be really honest. That's just how it happened. But I'm still impressed by it. I still think it's great. I think that's even more impressive to me. I would, not that I wouldn't, I think it's more impressive it happening naturally and I think it makes it more I like it better because I think it makes it a better goal for our future if you have to work to try to make it happen instead of just letting it happen then I think there's still a lot of roadblocks we need to um we need to face if it can happen naturally where that just happens to be who our candidates are then I think that's really awesome yeah and it did that's just the best candidates were female candidates, and I think that's great. Um, I think it's great to see a state elect all female candidates. I think because I think it's great that a state looked at their candidates and they were like, these were the most competent people. Yeah. And also, again, I don't want to see them elected just because they're women, but the fact that they were capable women and impressive women is phenomenal. Yes. So discussion question number two, should preschool be free? So I'm gonna answer and then I'm gonna ask another question. I'm gonna ask, I'll, I'll answer Taylor, then you can answer and then I'm gonna have a follow-up question for us. Okay. 
So my question or my answer is yes, alas, it should definitely be free. There are too many people that don't have the ability to reach education before, like, because to teach their kids at home, like proper, not proper, but like things that can make you have an easier time going into kindergarten and things. And those are like the times when children are most sponge-like where they just absorb everything and imagine what we could do if that was a free and required thing for all children. I also think that preschool should be free or government supplemented, however it has to be. I think it should be seen the same way as kindergarten. Um, typically your pre-K ranges from like three to five years old. And I think it would also help bridge some of the gaps that you experience in kindergarten where some kids are still struggling to be potty trained and then other kids are reading books and how do you how do you teach both of those children at the same time and I think pre-k would help with that because pre-k you do have a slightly less formal school structure there's still a lot of time where you know you're watching movies and they're playing with recess and all that I also think it would help with childcare. People often cite childcare as being a big reason they don't go to work or that they quit a job. And so I think the sooner we can provide affordable, accessible childcare, the better. And that was, that kind of leads right into my, my, my second question, which is what are our thoughts on daycare being free? Which I think is another thing that should be availability to have freedom because it's just so hard for people even after they're older like after children are older like they have um no place to go after you know they come home from school like I that's how most of the kids in my my school district are you know they're really little and they come home and no one's home and they just you know fend for themselves and while I haven't heard of any like horrific stories of anybody doing anything like horrific I do think that it would be better if they were monitored yeah I do think there should be more after-school programs for children of all ages um sorry I have the hiccups <laughs> I definitely think um before school care for parents who have to leave incredibly early I just feel like public education is a great resource. And I think things like after school care and after school tutors and preschool, when those things are privatized, it well, creates major gaps because families who can't afford it can't afford it. And it's not a matter of budgeting better. If you're barely affording your grocery bill, how are you going to squeeze in $300 for an after-school tutor for a month? Yes, so, completely agree. I definitely think daycare facilities and after-school care facilities. And another thing, like we were looking at in my, I think it was my intro to women and gender studies course, we looked at like a woman's a single parent's budget it wasn't just women but like a single parent's budget and how hard it is because the cost of child care is obscene right now like if you even with like daycare and like after school care like it's a lot of money it's a lot a lot of money and if you're like a middle middle class or low class american who 
only gets minimum wage you know minimum wage doesn't even really cover you at that point like how are you expected to also like feed your child and also if your kid is going to daycare typically you have to send money too if they're buying them like a meal for while they're there like school like a school lunch account same type of deal and it's like and there's such a there's such a taboo around assistance like free and reduced lunches and things like that and that's really sad I think yeah I definitely don't think there needs to be a taboo around it and I know a lot of people who said you know I would work but I would be putting my entire paycheck into childcare for my kid when I could just stay home with my kid. I'm like, yeah, why would you go to work? Yeah. Like I, if I had to go to work, but then turn my entire paycheck over for cat food, I wouldn't go to work. Yeah. I would just feed him pierogies. I like pierogies. She probably likes pierogies. Seems reasonable. She would learn to like pierogies. <laughs> and finally, do you guys believe the adage, a woman must be asked seven times before she will run, whereas a man must only be asked once? So, okay, before we answer this, Taylor, I've never heard this before. Can you, um, can you do a little more of explanation? Yeah, so this is a fairly common adage in politics. Um, Holland mentioned in an interview that she had been approached several times to run for office and she was often very hesitant on it. And the idea comes from, you have to continually say to a woman, you can do it, you'll do well, you'll succeed. Whereas a man, you know, you say you should run for office and they typically jump on the offer. Um, so it is something that is pretty easily seen when you look at pre-election interviews and women talk about, oh, so-and-so said I should run. Oh, so-and-so said I should run. Um, and women often cite the role models in their life for why they ran and why they decided and to so pursue. Model. Yeah. So... Um, and sometimes men will just say, I wanted to run. Yeah, I think it's really, it's really sad that we don't, and it's because women don't have people in politics to look up to as much as men do, you know, if they had the same amount of history, if people like you, like yourself, you know, being there doing the job you're trying to accomplish, sure it would be a lot more easy to accept because it you're not making a precedent at the same time you're trying to do something yeah i definitely i definitely agree with it and i've seen it um obviously i haven't interacted with any presidential elections but i have seen it on small scale elections i mean i've seen lots of senate elections where you're asking some someone a dozen times I think you should run I think you'd be good at it I think you'd be really good at this position and then you say once to someone oh you could run or sometimes they just say I would be a good candidate and there's nothing wrong with that I don't I don't think it's wrong to have confidence in yourself as a candidate I just think it's this idea that 
women are still somewhat expected to be in the home. And so, especially if you're a woman who hasn't, who has experienced a lot of hardships. So if you have a not perfect record, if you're a single mother, um, if you know you're gonna face challenges, then you're even less likely to. But you know what? There are men out here with yearbook pictures dressed as clan members. So I really feel like some more women should be running. Not if you dressed like a clan member though, please don't run. No. Please don't. But that's how I feel too. I just feel like we have such a we have such a diverse population and our political landscape is like snow. It is like snow. White and everywhere. Oh. What did you think I meant? We were thinking of different snow. What's the snow? Well, I was thinking cocaine because they're all rich white men. Oh. Like off of Wall Street. And um, you are also correct, though. We were just thinking of different snow. Yes. But yeah, I definitely think, I don't know. I think next year we should, I think only women should win next election cycle. Not because they're women. I just think we should put up a whole bunch of competent, impressive women. And then there can be 535 seats. I think that's how many there are in Congress. I swear I'm a real political science major. I think it's 535. It sounds right. I know it's over 500. I think it's, I think there's 435 people in Congress. 538, Jacob. Oh, 500. Can I get credit for being close though? No. No Darn. You. Darn, just like my English teacher. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I think there should just be... Wait, our editor has sold us a lie on camera. Why? Jacob, reveal yourself. We're gonna talk. Okay, can this be our, um, can this be our, um... Our final final thought. thought. Yeah, but first I want to confront why Jacob sold me a lie. Well, I'm just confused what 538 had to do with the rest of the conversation. What rest of the conversation? Well, because we were saying how many people are there in Congress and you said 538. Mm-hmm. Is that not right? You just said it's a website. Yeah, it's also a website. Hey Siri. <laughs> Why did none of my series work? Here, I got it. Hey Siri. Oh, your Siri actually called my, you actually got it already. Oh no. Hey Siri, how many people are in Congress? United States Congress are made up of United States House of Representatives and United States Senate. Hey Siri, how many seats are in Congress? Okay, I found this on the web for how many seats 535. Are in Congress. Check it out. 
<laughs> I'm going back incognito. No, you're not. It's final discussion. My final thought is I'm wrong. Thank you. That was also my thought. No, Jacob, come back. So my final thought, unless anybody else has anything, one thing I really did want to talk about more was like just the number of people in Congress, which really kind of worked out well for me because that was what I was planning on talking about since we talked about the 25% being women, right? 25%? 23 23 um and it just really like bothers me I mean it even bothers me at Clarion like how little people we have diversely sitting in different organizations we're in you know and I know it's also a regional issue for us but it's really not because we have others we have the race we have the population and it's hard for me to feel like we're doing right by everyone when we're not representing everyone properly. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think, um, I think representation is important and I think you should see representation in everyday life. I think the store clerk should look like you. I think the news reporter should look like you and I think your teacher should look like you. Obviously they're not always going to look like you but you should be able to find yourself in every aspect of life. I also have a question. So, mm -hmm. I can't remember based off of the script. So, was are these women we've talked about thus far, are they the first Native American women or Native American period? Native American women. Yeah, one was Native American men given um, the opportunity to serve. So not before 1948, because they weren't considered citizens. Let me look it up. Native American man in Congress. Which also, that's so wild because literally they were here before us. Right. And they're the last ones, like, like Native American people had rights before them. So the first Native American descent was 1907, Charles Curtis of Kansas. But still way before women is my, my thought. Oh, like, oh yeah, the first person, like the first Native American person was way before women. And the thing is, does that mean that these women's accomplishments, are they more important because they're Native American women or because they are women? To me, that's stating it's because they are Native American women, because they are fighting more than one barrier to getting in office. Yeah. And I don't know. I guess I just feel like it is difficult for Native American men, but I think it's more difficult for Native American women. Because I think politics in general is just more difficult for women. Another thing, isn't the issue we've been seeing, um, okay, never mind, that's stupid. Ignore that, cut that out, Jacob. 
Wait, what? There are no stupid questions. Well, I was going to say, isn't there a big issue with a lot of women being abducted and they can't find them? Is that Native American women or is that Mexican women? Um, if it's if it's Mexican women, Jacob, even if it is Native American, cut this out. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure both populations see it, but I do believe it's Native American women. Still, cut it out. <laughs> who they've seen like a spike. Jacob, a cut. Native American women missing. Oh yeah, addressing the epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women. Yeah, because- Published March 6, 2020. Yeah, it's a continued issue that's been going on for like the last 10 years. And the issue is that like nobody, it's being like way underreported. And I think another, well, no, because there's also, um. I know it's native or not native. It's also Mexican women, Mexican women too, because I remember reading that they don't want to reach out and say that someone's missing because they're afraid of deportation. Uh, yes, that is a common thing that immigrant families won't report crimes. But in 2018, Urban Indian Health Institute completed its landmark survey reporting. 5,712 missing Native American women and girls, only 116 of whom were registered. Oh. That's so that is 2% of missing Native American women were registered can, in can a database. Can we do some quick math and look at the difference between like how many like white American women are uh, missing a year that are found. I just thought I want to compare the 2%. Yeah, let me look that stat up. How many white women? I drew a smiley face on my knee. A smiley face? Oh, here we can do this one. It's upside down though. Don't put that in the box. Oh, Good grief. This is a family podcast, Caitlin. <laughs> but where's the number? So, oh, wait, no, because that's men and women. I will just say when you Google white women missing 2018, a lot of news articles come up that report minorities go missing at higher rates. Yeah. Then. That's what I think. Which is really sad because um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, really sad because white people are more prevalent. So the statistic is skewed even more because of that. Yeah. Um, I can't find it, but there is such a thing called missing white woman syndrome. And it is a term that refers to media commenters 
and the extensive media coverage, especially on television, of, of missing person cases involving young, white, upper middle class women or girls. The oh, term is described no. to, is used to describe the Western media. So like Nancy focus Drew. on upper. Yeah. So essentially any Nancy Drew uh, episode about a person who's missing, which is always a white woman who's usually somewhat okay financially. Yes. And sometimes if crime shows are really bad, they will often portray white victims and people of color as the perpetrator. hate that for them which like so what obviously are, what are our final final thoughts that wrap up our conversation about white women versus minority women and their abduction rights it's too different and i don't like it and i'm glad that there's more women that are um going into congress like we've talked about this week because i'm hoping with their presentation they can help resolve some of these issues because they understand the prevalence more and it makes more sense to them because it's their population dealing with these issues. And I'm excited to see Native American women in Congress speaking on Native American women's issues because I think sometimes allies can have really good intentions but can actually end up speaking over the marginalized community they're trying to help. And so I think it's really great that they're able to advocate for themselves and not worry about people speaking over them. We did it. The, what were you guys doing? Nothing. Well, that was a really good episode. Oh, we have to make a decision about... Sorry, Caitlin. I keep cutting you off. No, that's okay. I was just going to thank everyone for coming to this episode. Thank yeah, you for do that, do that, do that. I know when to cut when you just start going Doo! right at the end. All right. So thank you everyone for coming back and uh, listening to this little bit of a rambling session about um, Native American women in their presentation in Congress. Who are we talking about next week? Next week, we are talking about, it always makes me nervous because I'm afraid I'm going to pronounce her name wrong. I believe it is pronounced Leanne Betasamoki. I believe so. I could be wrong. If I am pronouncing, if I am mispronouncing your name, I am so sorry. Here on this show, we are not known for our pronunciation. What are we known for, Caitlin? If you had to guess what we're known for. Oh, just rambling. <laughs> we will talk about her next Probably. week and we will continue our conversation on Native women during this uh, Native American History Month yeah I'm excited This has been Wednesday's Women, sponsored by the Clarion University CU Engaged Coalition. The thoughts and ideas presented in this podcast are meant to be for entertainment purposes first and foremost, and we do not claim to be experts in any field. As always, thank you for listening and make sure that you go out and register to vote.